Well, on behalf of the Renaissance elders, I'm very excited this morning to be able to introduce Christian Andrews. Uh, he's the man that we believe that God has led us to call as our new lead pastor. Christian comes from Park Church in Red Bank, New Jersey, which he founded 14 years ago. Christian received his Master of Divinity from Princeton Theological Seminary, and he majored in physics and philosophy at Rutgers University before that. Christian is married to Michelle, and they have two children, Nate and Lily. Christian will be available after the service if you'd like to meet him. And we also want to invite you to a town hall tonight at 6 p.m. Uh, where you'll be able to meet him, ask questions, or not be able to meet him, but you'll be able to ask questions of the elders and share feedback with us. So let's give Christian a warm round of applause as he lays with God has in the heart. It feels really good for me to be here. The first time I joined you uh, at Renaissance was on November 1st. Uh, I sat right there. I'd come to the church because a good friend of mine, one of my best friends, Vito, from Brooklyn, <laughs> he told me, you need to go to this church. Now, you might think I'm going to say he threatened to break my knees with a lead pipe if I didn't. Vito was a pastor like me. And Vito said to me, Christian, uh, this church, it's looking for a lead pastor. I've read the description of who they're looking for, and I think it's you. So I came that morning on November 1st. I was greeted warmly in the cafe. Uh, the first person who had a, an extended conversation with me was Michael Murphy. He told me a bit about your story as a church. And in my mind was my friend Vito's words to me that this is a place for you. And I was not looking for a job. I didn't come because I was looking for a job. But I did come because I wanted to see what's this church which my best friend in ministry thinks is the right church for me. So here I sat in this row, and when I come to church, I always bring um, a notebook. I take notes. Do some of you do that? And I started to write down as the service began, and I have the, the notes that I wrote that morning right here. Uh, November 1st, this morning I'm at Renaissance Church, listening. Singing, first announcement, food pantry. Second announcement was about their search for a new senior pastor. And here I quote what I heard Clay read, we are praying that God will bring us the right senior pastor. We've looked through hundreds of resumes and watched hundreds of sermons and videos, haven't found that person yet. And then, after this, he invited anyone who wanted to talk to him about that search to come and speak with him after, and then he prayed. And while Clay prayed, I prayed, God, help me listen this morning to what you're calling me to. After the service, I went and talked to Clay. I don't know if you remember this, Clay, but I asked one single question, really, and it was, how would you know if you found the right person? This morning, as Roger just mentioned, the elders at Wren and the search team believe they found the right person. Um, I believe that. And so my goal this morning is, is to open to you in a very simple way who I intend to be as a pastor at Renaissance Church. And then tonight, if you choose, you'll come back here and share your thoughts and your feedback with the elders. And then we'll see if there's an answer to that question. Is this the thing that God has for me and for you together? I said uh, at the start that I'm excited to be here because I believe it is. And what I want to do very simply is to show you a picture of who I would be as your pastor by opening for you a single story from the New Testament. It's a story in which one man comes to faith. 
He meets Jesus and he comes to believe. And in his excitement, he goes and gets a friend to tell him about his faith. I choose this story because when I think about my goal as a pastor, well, it isn't too complicated. I'm someone who's met Jesus, and I'm excited about that, and I want to share it with others. I relate to the story personally. Uh, Some of you maybe do as well. I can remember when I first came to faith how I felt so free, how I felt like all the burdens in my life were lifted. I had a new outlook. Do some of you relate to that? And I wanted to share that with my friend, my best friend in high school, was a guy named Reed Conway. (laughs) That guy on the right is me, and, you know, um, lots of skateboarders had really cool hair in the 90s. Uh, But this is me and Reed, and I, when I came to faith, I wanted my friends to know who Jesus was. I did. And one of the things that attracted me to Renaissance right away was my understanding that this was a community that came together because some men and women who had come to know Jesus wanted to share that with their friends and their neighbors, the people in their family or their coworkers who might not know about him. Their excitement for Jesus was something that they hoped to share with people they loved. That was me back then. It's still me today. And when I think about a church that I want to be a part of, I think I want to be a part of a church that does that. In the story that we're going to look at, again, very simply... We'll see one man who comes to believe who then goes to share it with his friend. And we're going to look at it in four different steps, and this will give me a chance to say with as much clarity and simplicity as I can what I would aim at as a pastor here with you. So the story is in the beginning of the Gospel of John. It's in the very first chapter. It opens in the 43rd verse of that chapter, and what we're going to see is this interaction. There's going to be three characters, a man named Philip, His friend Nathaniel will enter in, and Jesus. Okay, so let's start by looking at the way the scene opens in verse 43. You're going to see the text up here as I read it it here. Uh, So listen, here's how it begins. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. In those two verses, we have a very compressed depiction of the most important event in Philip's life to date. Philip is in Galilee. A rabbi comes and invites him to follow him, Jesus. Jesus had been teaching and gaining a a, a bit of a following. And then he stands face to face with this man, Philip, and he says, follow me. He's inviting him to become a student of his. He's inviting him to step off the path that he'd been on and go on a new path. He's asking him to come along with him for an adventure. He's saying to him, trust me, have faith in me. He's inviting this man, Philip, to become a follower of his. Now, before this encounter, Philip was not a man who knew Jesus. He was not a person of faith. He was not a follower of Jesus. He was not a disciple. He was not someone who had trust in this particular one, but something happened when Jesus met him that changed absolutely everything for him. He had a face-to-face encounter with Jesus, and his life was altogether transformed. Do some of you have this experience in your own history? I know that many of you will. Some of you may not. But think for a moment, if you do, of that time when you were found by Jesus and everything changed for you. Can you remember that time? 
If you're here and you can't, it's a very good thing that you're here. I would guess that the friend who brought you brought you because he or she hopes that that would happen for you too. That's how it was for me. Oh, I remember the freedom of this encounter that I had with Jesus and wanting so deeply for others to have it also because I cared about my friends and the people close to me and this new life in Jesus was brilliant. That's what we see happening here for Philip. And the question that I want to start with you this morning is how did it happen for him? And I ask that because, well, I would like to be a part of a church that was good at helping this happen for people. So how did it happen for Philip? There's some clues in uh, the, the, the text here that tell us, John wants us to know how this came about for Philip. Notice, uh, if you look closely, there are three things that we're told specifically about Philip. We're told what his hometown was, Bethsaida. Um, secondly, we're told that there are two other men from that same town. Do you see it up there? Andrew and Peter. And then the third clue is, it's hard, it's easy to miss, it's when this happened. Do you see how the verse begins? The next day. That means what happened the day before is important. And if, if we were to look back, we'll see very simply that the day before this event, guess where Jesus was? Well, he was in Bethsaida, Philip's hometown. And the day before this event, guess who he was with? Andrew and Peter, also from the same hometown as Philip. There we see that Jesus found Andrew and invited him to follow him, and Andrew became a believer, and so he went out and brought his brother Peter to come along also. When Peter encountered Jesus, he decided to become a follower as well, and then John tells us that they spent the entire day together talking. Would you use your imagination for a moment and think what would they talk about? What would you talk about if you had that chance? I'll tell you, I think indirectly John is telling us exactly how Philip became a believer because on the day before, when Andrew and Peter were with Jesus, they must have told Jesus about their friend from their hometown who didn't know him yet. And they must have said something like, hey, we're so glad that we've become followers of yours. We have this friend who's off in Galilee and we think he would be an excellent addition to this team. Why don't you go out and find him? And so the next day, look again, the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee and he went and he found Philip. Do you see it? And here is a first picture of what I would want to be with you as a pastor at Renaissance and it's simply this. It would be to be one who encourages you to talk to Jesus about your friends before you go and talk to your friends about Jesus. Would you think for a moment of a friend that you have who doesn't have faith? It might be someone who's here with you this morning, and if that's you, excellent. Thank you for bringing that friend along. It might be someone who would not accept an invitation to something called a church, but think of them, would you? It might be a family member, a spouse, who doesn't share your faith, you might think, I want them to have faith, and then you might think, I have to go tell them about Jesus. Here this story says, no, before you start talking to them about Jesus, talk to Jesus about them. So would you pray for them right now? I'm going to leave a moment. Do that. I'm going to pray for my friend who doesn't have faith. Let's do that together. If that's odd for you and you think how strange to do this, what I want and what this community wants for you is to come to the place where you also know the joy of Jesus. That's why we would bring people before him because we want uh, those who are far but who we know to come close to him so that they can come to faith. As your pastor, 
I will regularly encourage you to pray for your friends and your family, for people who do not have faith, so that they would come to know. That's the first thing I want you to see. Now, the story continues and it unfolds. After Philip is found, I want you to look with me at what happens next. And this will give us a second picture of what I hope to be with you as a pastor. After he is found by Jesus, he immediately thinks of his friend, Nathaniel. And watch what happens. This is what follows in verse 45. There we read, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him about whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth. As soon as Philip comes to faith, he thinks of his friend Nathanael and he immediately goes out and he speaks to him. And here in this statement, we have a very, very compressed depiction of what Jesus is all about. He speaks about Moses, he speaks about the prophets, and Joseph. Moses was the great deliverer who brought God's people out of oppression and who spoke of a day when there would be another one who came and delivered men and women from every kind of oppression. The prophets were men who looked at the world and saw how messed up it is. Is the world messed up? Is it? The prophets saw that and they spoke of a divine healer who would come and set things right. Joseph, everyone in this day knew, he was the one who descended from King David through whom God had promised to finally bring the true king. In this one statement, Philip has come to his friend Nathanael and said, we have found the true deliverer, the one who will heal us, and the true king. And he said that to his friend Nathanael because what he knew when he looked at his friend Nathanael is that his friend Nathanael needed to be delivered and his friend Nathanael needed to be healed. And his friend Nathaniel needed a true leader who would be a king and his Lord. Put aside this story for a moment. Do you agree with me that what we need today is to be delivered? And I'm not even thinking about the world out there. How about think about yourself? Do you know that you need to be delivered? And that you personally, every one of you comes into this place this morning and you need healing and you need someone who can come and lead you as a Lord. Some of you who have faith for a long time, when you hear me say this, your heart sings a little bit, doesn't it? When you think of Jesus and his way of doing that. Others might think, well, no, but maybe. Listen, you see what Philip's doing here. He's trying to convince his friend Nathaniel to believe. It's not that successful. You'll see in a minute. If you know the story, you know where I'm going. But before we come back to it, listen to, listen to me, listen. Jesus is the one who delivers. And we know what it's like to be trapped and oppressed by life. So many of you have come into this place. There are aspects of your life that you wish you could change, but you can't. You're like a prisoner trapped by anxiety, depression, habits that ruin your relationships, addictions that you cannot break free of, patterns that you wish you could set aside, but you can't. You keep coming back to them again and again. And what you need and what I need and what all of our friends and neighbors need is someone who will come and deliver. And what Jesus does is he comes and says, follow me and I will free you. I will fully free you and deliver you. Jesus is the deliverer. He's not just the deliverer, he's the healer as well. I guarantee you I'm not the only person who has come into this room this morning carrying wounds from my past. Anyone else with me in that? Oh, friends who, who, who were close but who hurt you. Family that didn't do what family was meant to do. Relationships that were so promising but they disappointed you and hurt you and left your heart wounded. Dreams that were good dreams that had to evaporate before your eyes like smoke in the wind. 
And then you become a person who further and further falls into this brokenness. Our world is broken. We all need to be healed. Jesus is the deliverer who also heals. He's the great physician who says, would you come to me and let me hold your heart and I will set it right? I'll wipe every tear away from your eyes. I'll give you joy and freedom again. He's the one who heals. Can you tell that I like Jesus? I do because he has delivered me and because he's healed me. And he does both of those as the one who is the true king. He does. And not a king who stays far away and passes his mighty power on to others from a distance, but as a king who comes right up to men and women face to face, just like Jesus walked up to Philip, and who says, follow me. I will deliver you. I will heal you. I will be your Lord and King. All of that we see in what Philip says. Jesus says, I know you better than you know yourself. I know everything you've been hiding from the people around you and even trying to hide from yourself. I know what you've run from. I know what's behind you and all of it I know. And yet still, I invite you, would you please follow me? I love you. I am ready to free you from all of that and give you the life that you were made for, which you know, you know is what you were made for and you haven't found it. Come with me. Jesus says that. Oh, if he said that to you, think of it for a moment. I remember that moment for me. I remember so deeply wanting to share it with the people around me. That was a long time ago. Uh, from that day, even to this very moment, this moment right now, I still would love to know that somehow that the way that I have been freed could be passed on to others by God's goodness. I'll say it again. My most, the thing about Renaissance which most excites me is the idea that I could be invited into a church that did not say, hey, it's only Christians here. Everybody else get out. But they could say, no, everyone is welcome here because what we want more than anything is for people to come and meet Jesus, to come and hear of his deliverance and be delivered and to be healed. And that, listen, that doesn't just happen once, right? Those of you who know him, you know you need it again, right? Again. And tomorrow you'll need it again. Now back to the story, Philip is so in earnest about sharing his faith with his friend, Nathaniel, because he loves him, because he cares about him, because he wants him also to have this faith which he has been given to have. And some of you right now, as I say, this is a picture of what I hope to do at the church. You might not like this, but listen, what I hope to do, this is a second thing as a pastor, is not only encourage you to talk to Jesus about your friends, but to encourage you to talk to your friends about Jesus. Does that make anybody feel uncomfortable imagining that? I can't see you because of the lights, but I imagine a lot of you are like, yes, totally. Because it can be awkward and difficult. But I think in this moment, we see a picture of someone who's doing what people who have come to know Jesus ought to do, which is to go to their friends and talk about it. You might be saying, well, I can't possibly do that as well as Philip did it there. One of the things I want to work at in this church is to help us to become better at talking about our faith with others, not for our sake, but so that God would bring others into his grace and love. But if you think, well, I can't do that because I'm not as good as Philip. If I was, then maybe I could succeed. But since I'm not, I'm not as courageous, I'm not as confident, it's 
it surely wouldn't work as well as it worked for Philip. Well, before you get too far, look at uh, the success that happens. Here, come back to the text with me and watch what happens. Here is verse, the, the second part of, of, of that conversation. In verse 46, Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip has told his friend about Jesus the Deliverer, about Jesus the one who heals, about Jesus the one who is the true king, and the only thing that Nathaniel hears is the last statement, which doesn't even matter at all, which is the town that Jesus comes from, Nazareth. It's like a throwaway. The thing that didn't matter at all is the one thing he narrows in and focuses on. He says all of this glorious truth about who Jesus is and, and Nathaniel's response amounts to like a first century meh. Na Nazareth? Wait, did you say he's from Nazareth? I don't know what town people in Summit really don't like, but, but imagine, like, what is it? I, I, I'm afraid I'm going to offend someone if I say, but is it like East Orange, really, or Irvington? Can anything good? Nazareth is a town that, if you're from Irvington, God, please forgive me. <laughs> Nazareth is a town that no one expected anything good to come from. And so the only thing that Nathaniel hears is the one thing that can allow him to say, no, I, I, eh, eh, nah, not really, not interested. And the fact is, and you might have had this experience, that sometimes when you enthusiastically talk to a friend about Jesus, it goes just about this poorly. Does anyone else have that experience? You know, I still remember I still remember the moment that I talked to my friend, Reed, about Jesus when we were in high school. I was not wearing that prom outfit, okay? So, but I remember Reed being so intelligent and so skeptical for good reasons and also an expert in snarkiness. Do you know what I mean by snarkiness? Like I remember when he was at our house one evening and my father asked him, what do you want to do when you grow up? And he said, without even thinking about it, oh, something that allows me to exploit the unwashed masses for my own financial gain. This is a 16-year-old. I, I, I hesitate to tell you, but he ended up with a career in finance in New York City. <laughs> I talked to him about faith, and as soon as I got it out of my mouth, he ticked off a list of all the terrible things that have been done in the name of God by Christians. He quoted some Marxist version of, oh yeah, religion is something that the strong use to oppress the weak to keep them under their control. And then he mentioned how absurd it was to believe in something like the resurrection. And after that conversation, do you know what I did? I folded like a shirt. I decided I can't possibly talk to him about this. We graduated high school, went in different directions. I didn't see him for a long time. It was about 14 years later, we were at a bagel shop. And there he was, and we began to talk. He'd heard that I became a pastor, which was very surprising to friends of mine uh, from high school. And he said, I, I don't remember everything else he said, but the things that I remember was something like, oh, good for you. You found out a way to make a living by exploiting people's neurotic need to believe in a higher power. Religion's a great way to separate people from their money. <laughs> Why was I friends with this guy? <laughs> I decided I'm not going to talk to him about Jesus anymore. I decided to change the subject. I saw him a few times over the next few years. And it was a good choice on my part not to bring that up again. But you know what I started doing instead of talking to him about Jesus? I actually started talking to Jesus about my friend. I started to pray for him. 
And when I saw him, well, I pray for him again. Why? I'm going to tell you why. Because I love him. Not because I want to change him, but this gift, which I hope is the central thing uh, in this community, that we know there is some gift that's been given, this grace of God which has rescued us, is something that's just too good not to share. I understood that I couldn't be very effective by talking, so I didn't. But I started to pray for him. I didn't give up. Now, in this story here, where the comeback from Nathaniel is so simple and dismissive, what Philip does next is beautiful and exemplary, and I'll tell you what, it shows me the third thing that I would very much like to do as a pastor with Renaissance. Look at how the conversation concludes. After Philip sharing his faith, and after Nathaniel dismissing it, here's what it says. Philip said to him, come and see. Philip does not engage in an argument. He does not start quoting Bible verses to his friend. He does not point out, hey, wait, you ignored the most important things and you just focused on that one. Come on, come back. He didn't get his feelings hurt. He didn't start a fight. And the reason is that Philip knew that faith does not come from winning an argument. Faith comes from somewhere else. And I hope you've seen it. Faith comes from an encounter with Jesus. That's where it comes from. Faith comes from the moment when you get to see face to face this one who says to you, follow me. And so Philip's strategy is these three words, come and see. And what I would like more than anything with you as a pastor would be to help build a community where we, all of us, me too, would come and see Jesus. That would be the main thing that happened for us. That I would see him again as the one who delivers me. That you you would come into this place with your wounds, with your raw and broken heart, with your hopes dashed and broken, and then you would see Jesus again, and he would give you hope again. He would heal you and, and take you in his hands and make you new again. That all of us would come and see him as the king, but we would do that in such a way that every one of us who has a Nathaniel in our life would also be able to invite him or her into this place, knowing that when he or she came, that what they would see would not be us or our clever arguments, but rather that they would have the chance to see Jesus himself. Would you hope for that? You know, I know this, that many of us have Nathaniels in our lives who don't believe, and the reasons they don't believe are very good reasons. Have you ever sat down with someone who says, no, I won't believe, and then listened long enough to find out why? They might say, well, nothing good could come from religion. Nothing good could come from faith. Nothing good could come from Christianity. And then you listen long enough, and you would say, if I had their experience, I wouldn't believe either. Has anyone else ever had that experience? I'm sure I have. The way that the world these days has presented faith has been in many ways a dangerous thing which good, well-meaning people would want to stay away from. But here's, here's what Renaissance can be. A place where men and women who have been found by Jesus come together in such a way that their life together, the way that they treat one another and outsiders would in itself be a way that Jesus allows others to come and see him. With the staff, 
with everyone who works in the back and in the front, who sets this place up on Sundays, who greets, who makes things happen around here. I want to be someone who helps you build this place in a way that when people come, what they see is Jesus. And then trust that when that happens, Jesus will do what he will do with those who come and see him. It has been my experience that Jesus is completely trustworthy. Have some of you had that experience? After that meeting with my friend Reed in the bagel shop, I only saw him two or three times over the next 10 years. I was in another coffee shop in Princeton on ja in January of 2014. I was writing a lecture that I was going to give later that afternoon to a group of theological students. My phone buzzed, and I turned it over, and it was a text. Is this still Christian? Are you still doing that pastor thing? This is Reed. <laughs> what? <laughs> it's a long story, but I've been thinking an awful lot about God lately. Hey, would you be willing to meet with me and talk? Because I'm even thinking of a career change, maybe something in ministry. What do you think? Can we get together? See, listen, it had nothing to do with what I said to him at all. I hope it had something to do with what I said about him to Jesus. But here it was, God himself telling me that you bring your friends before me and trust me. Well, Reed and I, Met shortly after that. We became very close friends again. You know that shortly after I first came to Renaissance, guess who I told about it? My friend Reed. And do you know what he started doing? He started praying for me that I would find the right path that God has for me if it would be here or not. And you know, on August 1st, exactly nine months after the first time that I was in this place, and you know, nine months, birth, renaissance, rebirth. <laughs> I had a conversation in which the elders told me, we think that you might be the right person for this calling. Nine months to the day, that seemed uncanny to me. And so I texted my friend Reed, and you know what he wrote me back? You better take that job. <laughs> I, I, want, I want you to do this, and then, and then, then I'll wrap it up, and I'm going to say a brief prayer. I want you to let that friend or that family member or that coworker or that neighbor just come into your mind. You're Nathaniel or you're Reed. Don't be anxious about convincing them. You're not going to do it. Don't, don't be that kind of annoying person. But think of them for a moment. And, and I'm going to be silent for a moment and I'm going to think of my new Nathaniel, the new person that I know. And, and we're going to bring them before God and this fall here, uh, together as a community, we're going to see if God can help us see him better. Us who are here, those of us who are here already, and those who are not. But I want you to bring them before God in prayer, and I'm going to close this in prayer. And while I'm praying, I'm going to ask the musicians to come up. They're going to sing a song in which the refrain is the strategy that Philip had here, which was come and see. So let's do that. Let's pray together. God, thank you for bringing to mind people in our lives who we would like to come and see you. Uh, in our hearts now, hear us as we bring them before you.
I thank you so much, God, that you came and found me when I was young. I thank you that uh, you've used me to help some other people come to know you. I thank you that you've brought my path into this very place this moment. And I thank you for all of the work that you have done in Renaissance Church in the years behind it. I praise you for the way that you've made yourself known to many people through the ministry here. And now this morning, I thank you that you have invited me to stand in this place with these people to see if this is the path that you're calling us on. God, if it is, my prayer is simple. It would be that every time I'm with this gathering, that you would help all of us see you better, that we would come to see you, and in that process that we would be changed, that we would be delivered from the things that hold us back, that we would be set free and healed, and that we would have the new life of following you as our king. And then secondly, God, I ask that as we are growing, each one of us, as we are being changed by you, as you're having your way with us and changing us, that you would use us to be the people who help others come and see you. Those who we've mentioned in our hearts already, those who we don't even know. Because God, we know that there's nothing that this world needs right now, this moment, more than for men and women to come and see you and to be changed as they do. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.